Awesome. Thank you so much, Shafin. Good uh, afternoon slash almost evening. It's right about that time. Um, so wonderful to be able to spend a little bit of time with you, just sharing with you this evening about uh, vision. And uh, we're in a series at church about vision. Last week, Shafin opened us up and uh, talking about the vision of the church. And if you remember, or if you're new here, we can uh, remember the vision. It's very simple. It's just know, grow, go, right? So just three, three words like that. Know Jesus, grow, and go with purpose, right? That's what we want to do. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, uh, about vision, vision for our life, and vision uh, for our church as well, and how those things tie together. But first, I want you to think about when you were six years old, right? When you were six years old, what was your vision for your life? You probably didn't put it like that when you were six. You probably just said, this is what I want to be when I grow up. What did you want to be when you were six years old? Uh, for me, I had very high aims for my life. I, uh, I wanted to drive a garbage truck. That's what I wanted to do as a six-year-old. Now, um, where I grew up, I grew up in an apartment complex in the States for that when I was six, and the garbage truck used to come every week and empty out our big rubbish bins, and that was one of the highlights of my week because this amazing machine would come and eat up our garbage and just like crush it, and it was amazing. And I used to run out of my apartment and I'd go talk to these men that were driving the truck, and they were really friendly, and I thought, this, this is what I want to do with my life, you know? This, this is great. Until... One day, I went, and one of the guys had a, a bandage all over his finger. And I said, what happened? And he says, oh, it got crushed in the machinery of the truck. And at that point, my vision changed, right? I decided driving a garbage truck is far too dangerous for me. And I moved on to the next thing that I wanted to be when I, when I grew up. What did, what did you want to be when you were six years old? Uh, fantastic. That's good. That was more of a rhetorical question. But thanks, Shafe. Appreciate that. <laughs> you know, um, on a more serious note, about four months ago, uh, a man died in the Middle East named Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who was the leader of ISIS. And uh, he'd been the leader of the caliphate that they declared in uh, Iraq and Syria for the last five years. And he was killed as part of a, a military raid. And though in one sense we can say that's good that he's no longer causing terror in that reason, there's another part of me that feels quite sad. Because I think back to, I wonder what he was like when he was a six-year-old. He was, grew up in a small town in Iraq, and I'm very certain that as a six-year-old, he wasn't thinking that he would grow up to be a religious terrorist. I wonder if he wanted to play football for Iraq, or maybe farm like his parents did or something. But something happened in his life where his, his vision, his vision changed for his life, where he thought it would be a good thing to start a caliphate there, and do all sorts of very evil, evil sort of things. I don't know if you've ever thought about the question, how does, how does one become a religious terrorist? Hopefully this isn't something you've thought about in depth for your life. <laughs> but I just want to tell you a story about a man that becomes a religious terrorist, because it doesn't just happen. Certain things happen in a person's life that, that shapes their vision to be like that. Imagine you're a young man living in a, a small village, living with your parents who are just basically just an average sort of a family, craftsmen, and they see that you have a real passion for your religion. And so they save up all the money they can to send you to get trained to the, the leading religious center of your day. And you get lucky because you get trained with one of the most amazing religious leaders of the day. And it doesn't take too long before you seem to progress beyond all of your peers 
You become smarter than everybody else. Your scripture memorization and your passion and your zeal is going beyond what anybody your age is like. But something else is happening as well. Because as you look around at your society, you realize that not everybody is as passionate as you think they should be. See, your nation was invaded by a Western power. And some of your people have decided to work with those foreign invaders. Others have maybe given up on the religion and are a bit nominal. And you're drawn to those that are very, very committed to the religion. And it doesn't take too long before you start getting drawn to sort of the more violent factions within your religion. And before too long, you're committing terror in the name of your religion. Now that story I told you wasn't about Abu Bakr. It's a story of another person that you might have heard of that was also a religious terrorist long ago. We know him as the Apostle Paul. Now what's the difference between the Apostle Paul and a man like Abu Bakr? There's only two things that I can figure out besides the massive time difference. One is technology. See, Abu Bakr and the Islamic Caliphate had a lot more technology available. But the violence was just the same as what Paul did in the scriptures as we read about him. The only other thing that separates those two is that Paul, in his journey, had an encounter with Jesus. That changed everything about his life, including the vision for where he was going. Paul um, writes about 30 years after his dramatic conversion. You can read about his conversion in the book of Acts. It's a very famous story. If you've heard it, a light shining from heaven that changes his view completely. But in the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing. It's about 30 years later. And he's telling about a bit of his story. So here we go. From Philippians 3, 5, and 6, it says, I, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I want to know Christ. So here we have Paul. It's 30 years later, and he is still deeply in love with this Jesus. As an old man, he's writing ironically from prison where he has now become the persecuted for sharing his faith about Jesus. But there's three things that I really want us to notice coming out of this passage. The first, I want us to notice Paul's passion. It just comes through so, so strongly here. He says, there's one thing that I want more than anything else. It's I want to know this Jesus. He says that Jesus is infinite in his value beyond anything else. If you notice the things that he listed that he called garbage, they were... They were good, weren't they? He was proud of his heritage. He was zealous after God. The persecution of Christians, maybe not so good. But other things were actually really good qualifications. He says, none of that counts as anything to me compared to this infinite value of knowing Jesus. You see, Paul's passion, it hasn't dimmed in 30 years through all that he's been through. It's an incredible testimony. Have you ever had uh, something like this happen where you just have a favorite TV show or a favorite movie, maybe a favorite band, and you just really love them and you want to share them with one of your friends and then maybe they watch the show or they listen to the band and they think, eh, not so good, right? 
And it's devastating because you've seen something in that band or that, that movie or whatever it is that you're just passionate about. You love it. This is my favorite thing. And it feels like when you show that person, they just they haven't seen. It's like, were you watching? Did you fall asleep? How could you not think this is amazing? And you know, when we look at Paul's passion for Jesus, we might feel the same way. Like, okay, I love Jesus. He's, he's, a, good, he's a good person. He's, a, he's, he's great, but of infinite value? Everything else is garbage? Maybe we don't see Jesus with the same view that Paul saw Jesus. And the thing is, is if we want to have passion to know Jesus like Paul did, we've got to see a, a little bit of what Paul saw in Jesus. Now, our experience with Jesus might not be as dramatic as a vision on the road and a light from heaven and a voice calling him to ministry and stuff like that. For most of us, we get maybe just a smaller spark. But you know what? It doesn't take more than a spark to start a raging fire, does it? And so God will touch our lives with passion for Jesus. Now, he might just give us a little spark or a little flame, but we've got to grab a hold of that flame. We've got to have an encounter. Later on, Paul says that I am, I am pressing on for that for which Christ has taken hold of me. And, and when we look at the life of Paul, Jesus took hold of his life. And you know what? Jesus wants to take hold of our life as well. That's the thing. You might not even know Jesus. You might not be a follower of Jesus in this room, and that's so good that you're here. You might have been a person that's grown up in church, and you've known about Jesus, but maybe you've never really been that passionate about him. It's just been something that you do that's part of your life. Perhaps you've been in a situation where in the past you were really passionate about Jesus, but it just kind of has died off a little bit. Well, I, I think one of the things as we start this new year that God wants to do for us is ignite passion to know Jesus. This is the first vision of our church. We just want to know Jesus. We want to be challenged like Paul was to know Jesus. Even if we've been following him for 30 years, we want to be like Paul was, passionate to know Jesus. If we go on from there, um, in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, we can put that up. There it is. He goes on and says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It almost seems like the older Paul got, the more passionate he got, hey? The second thing I want you to notice about Paul here in this chapter is his effort. So we've got his passion, but we've also got number two, his effort. Notice what he says. I don't consider I've already arrived. Now, if you know the story of Paul up to this point in the scriptures, he's already planted churches all over the place. He's busy writing 20% of our New Testament. I mean, the guy has arrived. Let's be <laughs> But he's like, nah, not yet. I'm still breathing. I haven't arrived. I'm still running. I'm still going. I'm still running my race. And he says, I'm pressing on. He's using sort of racing terminology, like, like a runner's terminology, that I'm pressing towards the goal. I'm putting effort. I'm straining towards what is ahead. You know, the spark of desire is our starting point in our relationship with God. But sparks usually go out without fuel, don't they? That's the natural sort of thing that happens. It, it, it won't keep a flame going unless there's some sort of fuel. 
Now, where I grew up, I grew up in the state of Minnesota in America, and we used to go camping sometimes in, on the Canadian border and uh, have fires. And I, I love campfires, uh, you know, or, or sitting in a cabin with a fire or something like this. Fire's really nice when it's controlled. Um, that's really lovely. Um, and I've seen some really big campfires as well. But nothing like when I moved here. I went out to my friend's farm out near Mukinbudin, and, and he said, oh, we're going to build a fire. And I thought, oh, great, I've seen fires, right? But I hadn't seen anything like what he planned. Because he got the tractor out, and he started moving dead trees, whole dead trees. Not just one, several. And that was the start of a fire. That was a very, very large fire. But fortunately, it's not still burning. That's good for you to know, right? Because it ran out of fuel. Well, we put it out, so it would run out of fuel, right? Because even a huge fire is going to stop burning without fuel. And so in our relationship with God, we've got to actually have some fuel to burn. Sometimes we just want some sort of miraculous encounter with God, and we need that, but that is not the only thing that we need. See, our relationship with God, it's... It's a relationship, so it's two-sided, right? We've got to do something in our relationship. If we want to have a fire, we've got to be prepared to chop some wood. Now, chopping wood is really fun for the first three swings of the axe. And after that, it's no fun anymore, is it? It's really bad. You're like, this is going to be awesome, and I'm done. I'm finished after three swings of the axe, unless you're really a beast and you love it. But, but getting wood ready for winter isn't really that much fun. You've got to chop the wood. You've got to store it. You've got to, you've got to move it. You've got to get it dry. You've got to sometimes be working a season ahead so that you're ready so that when it's winter time, you can have that fire in the fireplace, and it's really, really wonderful. But it's taken a lot of effort to get there, right? And so in our relationship with God, it's a bit similar that we need, we need to have fuel. God gives us the spark. But we've got to actually get some fuel going. We've got to put some effort into this knowing God business. You know, reading the Bible can be very much like chopping wood. Now, sometimes it's just amazing. You read it and you think, wow, this is transforming my life. Other times you read it and you think, what on earth is this talking about? And it's like chopping wood. Because the more that you do this regularly, you invest in Scripture, what happens is that you end up with this huge pile of dry wood ready to burn. And when you put that into the place of worship... When you put that into the place of prayer, what happens is that spark comes and it starts to burn. But sometimes we try to get our relationship with God just to sort of rely on a worship experience or prayer. And it'll work for just a minute, but it won't last. It's not meant to. That's not what it's for. It's meant to catch fire to the wood that we've prepared. And so over time, we prepare a lot of wood. You see, just doing the wood chopping, though, isn't going to be very well, be, uh, very good either without the spark. Otherwise, you just have a big pile of dry wood. And what lives in piles of wood? Yeah, snakes. I had to learn that when I moved here. Everything's trying to kill me in this country, right? Including the birds. It's crazy. And so if all we have is a pile of dry wood, it's dangerous, right? If all we have is our knowledge of Scripture, it actually can be more dangerous for us than if we, if we don't have that spark that comes and lights it. With Paul, the effort that he put into knowing God is why his flame could burn 30 years later, brighter than it when it started. One of our visions and values for this church is we grow together. Growing together takes that effort. It's like that chopping wood. It's personal, but it's also we come together to grow. We've got to do something with the spark that God gives us. If we want to burn, we've got to do a little bit of work. Now, if we get that back to front, what happens? 
nothing. <laughs> you just end up with dry wood and you're bored to death with Jesus. And if we're bored with Jesus, we need that spark again because Jesus isn't boring. He's absolutely wonderful and amazing. Yeah? Well, number three point is Paul's mission. When we look at the life of Paul, he was transformed from a terrorist into a missionary. Absolutely crazy to think about. The overflow of Paul's life was that he became a radical missionary and planted the church all over the place. You know what's really interesting when you think about what made Paul a standout missionary? It was actually a lot of the stuff that he counted as rubbish before in that list. I mean, think about it. He said, all of that past, all the stuff that I was before, I just counted as rubbish. But you know what? God sifted through the rubbish of his life, and he upcycled, right? He said, I can use that. I could use that. His fanaticism, his terrorism, what was it turned into? Missionary zeal. It was repurposed in his life. The, the years that he spent memorizing scripture just overflowed in his preaching and his writing. You read the letters of Paul and they're just dripping with his knowledge of scripture. His intelligence came through so much that God could use him to write a fifth of our New Testament. That's amazing. His willingness to use violence against other people was even sort of ironically switched around where he was willing to suffer violence for the sake of Jesus. Even that. Did you see how, how the stuff that he was willing just to lay down, God says, no, I'm going to grab some of that. We're going to repurpose this in your life because this is what I've made you for. This was what your vision should have been. You might have found that in your life. You might be waiting to find that in your life because there's a lot of things that we lay down for the infinite value of Jesus. We lay down everything for him. Nothing is worth as much as Jesus. But you know what Jesus does? He goes and he takes those things from our story and he repurposes them. He says, this is, this is what I've called you to do. See, our third value as a church is what? To go with purpose. And our purpose comes out of those other two things of knowing Jesus, growing together. That's where we get that purpose. It's not just trying to think up what's the best thing I could possibly do to serve Jesus. It comes out of the overflow of our love for Jesus and our growth together. And we give God then the freedom just to pick through the rubbish of our life, which is what it feels like sometimes, and say, I'll use that. I can use that. And we suddenly find that God is using us where we are, sometimes redirecting us to new places and taking the things that we thought were all for lost and repurposing them. Now, our story might not be as dramatic as, uh, as Paul's story. It is a pretty dramatic account of a major turnaround. Usually our lives are a little bit less dramatic. My big drama was I went from wanting to drive a garbage truck and now I'm uh, doing Bible translation. So I don't know what the connecting point between those two things is at all. You might have some deep insight into that. Um, but I love the way that God has reshaped my vision to be more like what he wanted. So wherever you're at with your relationship with Jesus, you might be at point zero or maybe at like minus 10 with Jesus. You might have known Jesus for a long time. It's always good to touch base with these basic vision things. Is, is my one thing that I want more than any other to know Jesus? Can I really say with Paul that he's got the infinite value in my life? I find that there's a lot of other things that kind of creep up, you know? They just creep up in my life, and I find that... I really love this thing a little bit more than Jesus right now. Or I love this thing a little bit more. And I can't say with Paul, there's one thing I want above all else. And I need times where I recenter my vision on Jesus. I need a new spark. Say, oh, this is why I love him. This is why I love him. 
And out of that then comes our going with purpose and our mission statement comes out of that, that knowing Jesus. You know, one little bonus point from the story of Paul for today. When we're going with purpose, there's all sorts of people in our life that we sometimes consider as hopeless cases that we're reaching out to. People we think, oh, they would never follow Jesus. I just, I just have no hope for them. And I just love the story of Paul because it just shows us that there's no one beyond the, the mercy of God. That, that's what Paul testified. He says, you know why God showed mercy on me? He says he just wanted to prove that he can do it with anybody. If he can transform me, he can do anybody. And so I want to leave you with hope for the people in your life that you're reaching out to as well with wherever you're at, that there's never a moment where somebody is beyond hope. While they're still breathing, while they're still breathing, there's hope for them. And that God can use our, our rubbish lives at times to reach out to other people with wherever we're at and change people's lives as well. Thanks so much. So good. It's just so good to be reminded oh, of the basics that, um, that our life comes down to that relationship between us and Jesus, between us and God. You know, tonight what I'd love to do is just to, to really pray around probably two things that Chris was mentioning. That, that's, one is that spark. One is that spark. Maybe you have had that spark before. Maybe you haven't. But I believe right now is your spark that can re-spark your relationship with God or maybe even spark it for the first time. And also what I really believe that I'd love to pray for are those people that feel like you look back on the course of your life and you go, oh, it does feel like a bit of a trash heap. It feels like a bit of a car crash. Or you look over the course of your life and you, you, you see some great things or you see some things that you, you discard. But what I'm really encouraged by from Chris's message tonight is that God can use everything in our life. He turns it all for good. Even like you've been singing about how what the enemy meant for evil for your life, God is so much bigger. God has the ultimate authority where He can even turn the trash the stuff that was meant to destroy us and God can turn it around for our good. That is how good God is. You know, when Jesus was crucified on the cross and He died on the cross, all hope was gone. His disciples fled. They fled the scene and they thought that everything that they had hoped in was gone. But you know, God has the last say. When things looked hopeless, God has the last say. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated the work of the devil in his life. And the reason he did that was so that we too could walk in the victory that we've been, we've been talking about. Jesus has prepared a victory in advance for us to walk in. The Bible says that he became poor so we could become rich. The Bible says that Jesus became guilty, the ashamed one. He became unrighteous so that we could become pure, forgiven like us. <laughs> yeah. And this is all God's gift to us to simply be received by faith. So I'd love it if you could just join me by standing just in this moment. And first of all, we're going to pray around those lives, around those people that look back at their lives and they either see the mistakes or choices that you've made and you regret deeply. You see the damage that's caused, maybe you and other people. Or maybe you look back over the course of your life and go, there's things that were out of my control that happened to me that in a sense I've become a victim of. But I want to say that tonight, as you put your faith 
in Jesus, his capacity to turn trash into treasure, then tonight I believe that even in this moment, he can give you hope for your future. They can rewrite the story of your life to be one where God wants to use you to come and lift up other people that have been through what you've been through. I have no idea what a lot of your stories are, but what I do know is that there's a God who can turn it all around and many can be impacted. I believe that God's got a purpose for your life, that you'll impact so many people with the love of God that you've encountered in this situation. And so I'd love to just to pray. Maybe everyone can close their eyes. Maybe tonight, if that's you, we're not, we're not looking around to judge or assess, but just between you and God, why don't you lift up your hands if that's you towards God? Why don't you lift up your hands as a, as a level of surrender to Him to say, God, I surrender my past. I surrender what I might see as trash. I surrender what I see as mistakes, things, Lord, that from the past, I surrender it to you. Lord God, right now, Lord God, for those people that look back over the course of their life, God, we declare in Jesus' name that you can turn trash into treasure, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that those things that were meant to destroy people, to discourage people, to take them out, to sideline them, to end their life, Lord, to, to come and interrupt and interject and prevent your purposes from being outworked in their life right now. In Jesus' name, I declare a victory, Lord. We redefine the past. We redefine it in Jesus' name to say that this, you turn it all around for good, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name right now, Lord God, you set hope for the future. You set purpose for the future, Lord God. I believe that there's some people here right now that look back over the course of their life. But right now, would you turn your head? I see you shifting. I see that your focus has been on the past. But right now, I see that you're turning in the opposite direction and your eyes are filled with hope for the future. You see heaven. You see the plans that God has got for you. And right now, release hope into people's hearts for the future. Even callings, destiny, be released right now in Jesus' name in this room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just one more moment. I'll just be praying around this. Just give, invite the Holy Spirit in. Just look back over the course of your, invite the Holy Spirit in. God, come in. Come in, Holy Spirit. Come in, God. Have your way. He's rushing in right now. He's rushing in those times where you look back, you feel lonely, you felt isolated, you felt alone. Right now, God is showing He's been with you the whole way. And right now, He's leading you into a hope and a future in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Now, earlier on tonight as well, Chris mentioned that spark on the inside. And you know, all of us, another way to say that spark is simply to say faith. You know, tonight, whether you've ever had relationship with God or not, I believe that God wants to, like a spark plug, just put a spark in there. But He doesn't, want, he doesn't do it without your permission. What He's looking for is saying, God, would you spark something in me? The Bible kind of calls it to be reborn again. It's like, what? Well, I'm here. I'm already born. But God calls it being spiritually born again to begin a relationship, a spiritual relationship with God. And this relationship was made accessible to us because of Jesus, which is why, why do we love Jesus so much? He loved us so much. He loved you so much that He died on that cross for you so that your guilt could be removed, your guilt and shame could be taken, that you could come to God and be forgiven, washed clean of all the past. Jesus rose from the dead to give you a hope that stretches beyond this life, as good as it is, there's a lot of pain in this life as well. And what He invites us to do is to simply put our faith and our trust in Him. Thank you, God, for giving me Jesus. Tonight I receive your forgiveness and I surrender my life. Would you put a spark in me to maybe begin this relationship 
or to reset, to re-stir, to redo or re-begin my relationship with you tonight. And so once again, with all eyes across this room, what I'm going to do is just say a quick prayer tonight. And this prayer is what I've been saying. God, tonight, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and I want to start a relationship with you or restart one? If that's you and you want to be included in this prayer tonight, I just want to encourage you, this could be your moment to spark. Let me tell you, with a little step right now, God rushes in. When you put a crack through the door, the light of God can rush in even into the darkest places. So if that's you tonight and you'd like to be included in this prayer, could I just ask you right now to put your hand nice and high so I can see who I'm praying for. That is so good. Thank you so much for putting up your hand. So courageous of you. You can put put down your hand again. I see the back as well. Thank you so much for being so bold and courageous. Tonight, your life will never, ever, ever be the same again. That's so good. Maybe you're watching or listening online and right now you want to be included in this prayer as well. We'd love to pray for you. And you can raise your hand. I can't see it, but God can see what's going on in your heart. We just don't want to rush this moment because it's so, so precious in the sight of God. God loves you so much and all He wants. His agenda for you is freedom. His agenda for you is to know you and to love you. But just give it just one more, one more moment. If that's you tonight and you'd like to be included in this prayer to say yes to Jesus, why don't you put it in your hand nice and high so I can see it. Thank you, God. That's so good. Hey, before we pray, can we just congratulate these two people who have said yes to God tonight? So good. So good. And maybe you didn't quite feel ready to put up your hand tonight, a bit nervous, but I want to invite you, if that's you tonight, why don't you pray this prayer along with me anyway? And you're watching, listening online. Everyone's going to join with me as we pray. So please repeat after me, especially those who raise their hands. God sees your heart and He's going to respond in this moment. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you that you love me. Right now, I put my trust in you. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe Jesus died on the cross to forgive me, to wash me clean from all my guilt and shame and to give me eternal life. I open up my heart to you. Would you fill me with your love? with your hope and with your joy, I surrender my life into your hands. From this moment forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just thank God tonight? We're going to finish with zeal. Finish with zeal. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing together this song tonight and let's really express our love and our zeal for God tonight. Awesome.